The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. Your day in court on Extra 106.3 with renowned lawyers, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Great legal discussion today. And if you ever get into a legal pickle and you need someone to help you out, these are the people that I recommend you go to. And we'll start with how to get a hold of each of the uh, each of them. And we'll start with Bruce. How are you, man? Great to be here today. Um, Just want to say I was in Chicago this past weekend. My very first experience going to Wrigley Field to see a Cubs game. And it lived up to the hype. So cool. What a fantastic stadium. Great experience. We had a beautiful day. Wrigley Dog, Wrigleyville after Mm -hmm. the game. It it was great. Big times. uh, Easy to find me. Uh, Bruce at Hagen-Law.com is the email. Hagen-Law.com, of course, is the website with a ton of great information. Easy to get me on the phone, 404-202-2233 is my cell number. Call me anytime if you have a question about a personal injury claim, which is what I handle, or really any kind of legal question, because if I can't do it, I know somebody who can. Ray Judice, 404-964-4185, RayGLaw.com. I'm pretty easy to find. Quick Wrigley story, my first visit about five years ago. I was still married at the time. My ex got some great tickets, and in, in Wrigley, the uh, visitors' dugout is down the first baseline, and the home team is on the third baseline. Well, we got there early in a beautiful Thursday or Friday day game, the beautiful sky over Lake Michigan, the ivy in the outfield, and I'm watching these guys stretch, and I see one of the players who's got number 42 on his back, and this is after Mario Rivera, Rivera had retired, and I stand up, and my voice does carry. I say, hey, you SOB. That's Jackie Robinson's number. And the ex pokes me in the ribs and calls me by my nickname, A.H. <laughs> and says, they're all wearing 42, you A.H. It's Jackie Robinson Day. That's right. Way to go. Never, as, as Rosanna, Rosanna Dana said, never mind. If you ever get a chance, Wrigley, Fenway, Fenway. Yankee Stadium. And I will old add Yankee. old Yankee, old, old Yankee Stadium. But I will also add the, uh, whatever they call it now, the the baseball field, the, the the Coliseum in in San Francisco, is fantastic. What was it where the Giants play? I forget the what Giants they call it play. Now. They keep changing the name. Is but it Petco we, or yeah, no, that's yeah. San Diego. That's San Diego. But yeah. I mean, when you sit there and you see uh, McCovey Cove and the beautiful city of San Francisco off in a distance in the bay, it is a fantastic ballpark. When people get in trouble, immediately if it's not a big deal, then why make it a big deal? But sometimes minor offenses actually turn out to be a pretty big deal. Yeah, and uh, this is something that kind of came on my radar this week because I was talking to a kid who was in his second year in college, and he did some of the things that boys tend to do because, as we know, teenage boys' brains are not fully formed yet, and the things we do for attention or out of impulse or whatever may be seemingly minor 
issues, but I know from having seen it before that these have consequences and can follow you later on into life, whether it comes to something like applying to graduate school or wanting to become a member of an honorable profession uh, known as the legal profession in which you not only have to pass a bar exam to be a practicing lawyer, but you also have to pass something which is the fitness exam to show that you are fit to practice law. And they will look back at your entire record going back through your youth. And if they see something as innocuous as what is this public urination charge for something that occurred after a game at your college, you pleaded guilty, this would seemingly make you potentially unfit to practice law or to get into the military or whatever it might be. And these little problems that seem small at the time can and will follow you. This is something that's going to look good on your permanent record, Chip. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a baby prosecutor in the mid-80s, it was hard enough to get records of convictions from state of Georgia cases. I mean, literally, sometimes we would have to send an investigator or go ourselves to another county, go down into the bowels of the courthouse, open up these big, heavy books, make Xerox copies, try to get it certified by the clerk just to show a prior arrest or conviction. After 9-11, and of course, after Al Gore invented the internet, once you're in the system, and I don't care whether you have your case expunged, no load, first offendered, diversion program, if your hand and palm have been scanned or inked, you are in the system. You're in a number of computers for law enforcement, whether it's the GBI, the FBI, places up in Quantico that we're not supposed to know about where black helicopters take off on the roof, Uh, Interpol, if it's some kind of a bad felony, especially if it's any kind of a child abuse case. So there's a national registry for domestic violence cases, even if you get that charge dismissed. Law enforcement will almost always know. And as Bruce points out, a minor, minor violation will crop up absolutely at the worst time. You're applying for a gun permit or to become a member of the Georgia Bar Association and have to pass not just the fitness test, they call it the moral fitness test, which means it's sort of vague, okay? What's moral and what's not moral? And if you have an arrest, even if it's closed out, you're going to have to disclose it and explain it. And I have had many, many wonderful parents, very concerned people, Uh, who had a son or a daughter get a very minor charge, a disorderly conduct, a public intoxication, less than an ounce of marijuana. And it's usually the dad who thinks they're doing their kids a favor. We're going to teach him a lesson. He's going to go in front of the judge and accept responsibility and pay the fine. And then all of a sudden they get a nasty letter from the state of Georgia that their hope scholarship has been canceled and just lost 25 grand. Okay. Or, you know, or whatever it is per year. Uh, Always get at least a legal opinion before you and your son or daughter, if they're under 21 especially, just go into the courthouse, even on a traffic violation, Bruce, right? Oh, yeah. You know? No, and I, I tell my friends who have kids that are going to be going to school at University of Georgia, and obviously they're so excited because it's not easy to get into University of Georgia. Uh, so, you know, here's your child headed off to Athens filled with excitement, and, and I'll warn the parents. I say, hey, look. Very good, very excited for you and happy for Junior. Just know that they're going to graduate with a criminal record because (laughs) it seems like the Athens-Clark County government is run on the citations and fines that are paid for those citations um, that are given to every college kid. And and football weekends are the worst, but it's not limited to that because, you know, when you're in school, every weekend is a celebration. And so, you know, the kids walk around and a police officer – comes up and will ask the very simple question because they see you step off of a curb. Son, have you had anything to drink today? And if the child makes the mistake of A, answering, and B, answering honestly and saying, well, yes, I had uh, a beer earlier, but I 
don't have a drink with me now. I'm not violating the law. I don't have an open container or anything like that. They'll still get arrested and charged with being a minor in possession of alcohol by virtue of having consumed it because they just admitted that they had a drink earlier. This is going to get into, obviously, our topic. Yeah, in the, the next segment. segment. Exactly and, right, and the which corollary is charge that I see all the time is the fake ID. Now, I will just tell everyone, if, if you have son or daughter has a fake ID and they use it at, a, at an establishment to obtain liquor or anything else, uh, especially if it's a, a false government-issued ID like a, a fake driver's license, that is a misdemeanor crime in the state of Georgia. You're not going to the local municipal court or the traffic court. You're going to the state court where they enforce and prosecute misdemeanors, okay? And especially if it's a government-looking issued ID like a passport or a driver's license. And their law enforcement is very concerned about these things, not just because you got a couple of Miller Lights at, at, uh, at a beer at a party after the football game. Uh, and these, these things are very easy to get online. And they, I'm just telling everyone, they are misdemeanors, and especially up in Athens, that is taken very seriously. There can also be an identity theft charge if you're Correct. using somebody else's name uh, and you have an ID there, and suddenly you're charged with identity theft, which under certain circumstances can even be a felony. So, so the flip side of it is, okay, your genius 17-year-old gets their fake ID from the kid at high school who's selling it, because while I know that everybody listening here, your kids are the good kids. I know that. That's right. right? Everybody's kid, who, everybody's listening here, your kid is the good kid, but there are some bad kids out there. It's the wrong crowd. <laughs> um, in the wrong crowd that they're hanging around with, and those are the kids that they get the fake ID from. Your good kid is going to get a fake ID from that bad kid, but but... If that fake ID, because they're smart kids, they say, well, I'll just do it with my real name on there, so I'm not committing a felony. At worst, it's a misdemeanor. Well, now they're in a college town, and you know what the local liquor stores and bars do when they seize a fake ID? They call the university say, hey, we got an ID here. Is this one of your kids? It's always one of their kids. And, and now it can become a problem with your school as well. And the school has its own set of rules, its own discipline, and they're not bound by uh, what the courts say. They're going to have their own disciplinary process. I help students or, that want to go to law school. We, we talk about get, becoming a member of the Bar Association. But even just to get into law school, it's a violation of many law schools' Uh, morals clause if you don't disclose an encounter with law enforcement on your initial application uh, I had we had a very difficult case years ago where a kid had pled guilty to something very insignificant got accepted to a very good law school in town here and uh, his ability to stay in law school was in jeopardy because they had gone back I don't know how they found out maybe somebody ratted on him but but somehow it found out that he had failed to disclose so disclosure is very yeah. key and you need to be managed and one other incident that can come up that's seemingly a minor thing but can have some long-term consequences is the traffic ticket that is issued to your young driver who's on your insurance and the young driver either not wanting to tell mommy or daddy that they got a speeding ticket just goes and pays the fine uh, or whatever it is suddenly now they go to either get insurance in their own name or you go to renew your insurance and you want to change insurance companies, get new coverage, and they pull the records of uh, the driving history for all of the drivers on your policy. All of a sudden, you know, your, um, your uh, discount rate goes through the roof because there's a 
ticket there. Somebody has gotten points. Maybe they didn't tell mom or dad, or maybe they did, and you just thought, yeah, go ahead and pay it, as opposed to, no, we need to fight this because this will have ramifications, and the money that you will lose on those increased premiums far outweighs the small amount that you would have paid a lawyer to deal with it up front and get it right. Quick thing, a lot of our local courts have arrived alive at 25 kind of class for underage drivers or under 21s that allow the citations to be expunged that doesn't go points on a record. They have to take a very thorough driving class. I think there's a $300 fee. So just don't go plead guilty. There are alternatives, as Bruce says, so you don't get that nasty letter from your insurance company that says, oh, yeah, we're not only kicking you off, and that, there goes your homeowners and everything else. So so get some legal counsel. couple things. Oracle Park is the name of the stadium ah, where, okay. where the Giants play, just because we started the show with that. And then when we come back, something that Bruce hit on is when an officer asks you a question, what is the response? What's the proper response? The first thing to do when you're in an accident and then the first thing to do when you're pulled over. We're going to contrast those two next on your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart here on Extra 1063. What are you to do when you're in an accident? the first thing you should do and then by contrast what is the first thing you should do or not do when you're pulled over those are two very different issues and you should handle them in very different ways right bruce oh yeah and uh this this came up recently here and it just got me thinking about it and i'll let ray chime in about the real difference when you have a pullover by the police so now you know there's blue lights flashing behind you and you're getting pulled over for something but in the context of there being a car wreck let's say right and so you've been hit obviously first and foremost if you need medical attention that's the first thing right and you may not be in a position 
to think rationally or clearly or do the things that you need to do to protect yourself. But if you are okay enough, then you have to recognize that the information that goes into that police report is going to be critical to so many things that come after that night. The ability just to get a rental car when your car is out of commission. The ability to get the other person's insurance to pay for your car repair or the total loss. And if you don't have collision coverage on your own insurance, maybe the only way to get your car paid for. The ability to get medical treatment and, and all the things that go along with having a personal injury claim. So much of that depends on what happens and what's written up in that police report. So to the extent that you're physically and mentally able to do so after a crash, you have to start acting as your own advocate on the spot. And that means means gathering information, right? The bystander who comes over and says, oh, hey, I saw the whole thing. It was that other guy's fault. Get their name, get their phone number, get a picture of their driver's license, record them saying it if, if they'll do that. Do what you need to do to make sure you can get in touch with that person later on down the road because you may have to stick around and wait however long it takes for an officer to respond, but the good Samaritan who's just there telling you, I saw the whole thing, it wasn't your fault, and I say, hey, I, I got to get to work. I got to get to an appointment, but call me if you need me. All right, figure out how to do that. Take pictures at the scene. Everybody has a camera with them now on your phone. It used to be only personal injury lawyers drove around with disposable cameras in their glove box. Now everybody's got a camera. So get pictures, get statements, get names and contact information. Um, the person who hit you who is saying, this was my fault, don't worry about it, get that recorded. You can record that conversation with them because what's going to happen when the police do arrive is the first thing the police are going to do is separate you in car number two from the person who hit you in car number one and get your statements separate. And that person who is telling you one thing when it's just you guys face to face may be telling a whole different story to the police officer when they get there. And that's what's going to go into the police report. And that's what you're going to be fighting against. So do what you have to do at the scene to avoid having this uphill climb right from the start. Yeah, it's a little bit opposite for someone if you're pulled over. Let's just kind of deal with minor traffic violations today. Speeding tickets, stop sign, failure to maintain lanes. We could segue a little bit into more serious stuff like DUIs or reckless driving. I go from the school of what, as a lawyer, what's going to help me help you. If you want to go on TikTok or Reels and watch the guys who won't roll down the window or uh, won't cooperate and give over their license, that's fine. I can't help you. You're going to make a bad case. You're going to make an obstruction case. They're going to knock out the window. I mean, for a price, I can help you or some other lawyer, but it's not what we want you to do. Roll down the window, give the officer the license and registration. You can cooperate without confessing, okay? You, then you don't have to say, yes, officer, I know I I was doing 105 and I was enjoying the heck out of it. And I'm probably <laughs> going to do it again. You don't have to do that. You don't have to give an explanation as to where you're coming from or where you're going to. You do not have to. But be polite about it. Can so, I ask you something? Yeah. Do you have to answer the question, do you know why I pulled you over today? <laughs> why do the police ask that question and do you have to answer? And don't give the Facebook answer, which why, well, if you don't know, why should I tell you? Okay. Oh my. Don't be a smart ass. It doesn't help. If you want to say something like, officer, I got to be honest with you kind of hustling to get to work. Don't give the, my car doesn't go 80 miles an hour. I've heard that one. Don't give the, I was just going along with the flow of traffic. How come you didn't pass, get the guy in the Corvette that passed me before? They don't care. They've got a lot to do. They have a radar or a laser that probably went off that gave them probable cause to pull you over. You can push back. You can have a, a rational, logical conversation with the officer. 
him or her giving you that ticket and you taking the ticket or signing for it is not a confession. It's just so you're you're released in lieu of bail is what it actually is. Technically, there are some of these minor violations that if you can be arrested for, but you're not. You're getting a ticket. Look up the law. Come see a lawyer. Go to court. Give your explanation to the prosecutor. There are a lot better ways to handle these things. And as our friend Chris Domino says, don't commit a crime while you're committing a crime. What I really mean is don't double down and make it worse. I can't begin to tell you how many times, even in pretty serious cases, where the client, my client, was polite, cooperative to an extent, to a reasonable extent, that helps so much in the outcome of the case. Now, at the time, your blood is boiling, your heart is racing, you, maybe you're angry that the officer picked you out of the, the group of cars that everyone was going in violation of the speed limit and they just happened to get you, but at the roadside is not the place to try the case. Well, interesting you say that, Ray, because as a sovereign citizen, I don't believe that <laughs> the officers have the authority to issue me a citation. Do you see How that do we flag? handle that? Do you see the fringe on that flag? <laughs> okay, now we're talking about some squirrely stuff here. <laughs> Listeners, there. Uh, there's an American flag yeah. uh, in the studio where we're recording. And we're happy to have it here. But there's a group of people called Sovereign Citizens. and they Which they, I'd never heard of until y'all oh, told me it's about it. And they, from the word go, they may not even have a license plate on their car because they don't believe in that either. I mean, there's some really good videos out there. And the judges just roll their eyes when these people come to court because they won't give their full name. They're actually an incorporation or they're a citizen of Morocco. There's something that goes back to a treaty that I think President Monroe signed with the nation of Morocco that creates a sovereign citizen at sea. And these people have adopted this kind of twisted philosophy. But uh, anyway, don't do that. It's <laughs> yeah. not getting like you. A bad idea. It's going to get you six months to serve is what it's yeah. going it, to get it, you. <laughs> it's, it's a way to try to say that the laws of this city, state, and country not do not apply to me. Right. I, I, right. you, you cannot enforce your arbitrary laws against me, and it just doesn't work. It seems like civilization is based on rules and laws, and keeping it civilized is probably Well, we the all best believe that when we're using those rules and laws to protect us and our stuff. We tend to get cranky about it when the rules and laws are being used against us and our stuff. That's and, fair point. and that's what the legal system is about. And it's not a bad system. I mean, trust me, the Metro Atlanta, let's just say traffic court judges, many of them are regular lawyers that serve as judges and or prosecutors a couple, three days a week. So they handle cases. They represent citizens in the same kind of charge. They're somewhat sympathetic They're and, and they're fair. I mean, they just are. I mean, now these courts but Almost every but day. But they've heard it all. They've heard right? it so, all. So don't think yeah. you're going to come in there with some novel. My Pinto pers- won't go 90. Well, now, I will say this. Uh, <laughs> so, so years ago, my sister-in-law, who was brunette and uh, buxom at the time, fit the profile of the victims of The Sound of Sam in New York, which was a highly publicized serial killer who was killing these- From Yonkers, New York, my hometown. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Another, another Yonkers hero. I don't think you're yeah. supposed to brag about that. Right, right. So, <laughs> so, so my sister-in-law, having run through about seven red lights heading north up uh, some street in Manhattan, gets pulled over and goes to court to defend herself against the traffic court and says, Your Honor, I believed I was being chased by the son of Sam and that he was after me. And so I was fleeing and, and I couldn't stop at the red lights because I was afraid he was going to get me. The judge looked at my brother, who was there with her, not a lawyer at the time, just uh, says, Sir, your wife is going to be guilty. I'm finding her guilty. She's going to have to pay a fine. Get her out of my courtroom right now before I throw her in jail. Oh so, so while I say they've heard everything, you may come up with something novel that they haven't heard before, but that doesn't mean it's going to help you. And especially if you try to do that as the first person in court, the judge is not going to put 
put up with it. First thing is the, the judge day. is sending no, it's judge is sending a message to the other forty nine cases. Ah. Wait, we ain't got time for this. We got fifty cases yeah. this morning. Yeah. You know, get up here, plead your nolo, or have a jury tri- have a trial. You can have a jury trial in the state of Georgia on a traffic ticket. You have to bind the case over to the state court. That state court judge is not going to be happy that you're taking up his or her time with a speeding ticket. But and you'll get you if you are convicted, you'll get the maximum fine <laughs> and right. points. Uh, that's sort of the uh, the trial tax, as we trial lawyers call it. If you if you if you go to trial, you need to win. Don't lose. You get taxed. Going back to the things to do and not to do at the scene. First thing, when the officers are there, even before they get there, one thing that I think can be useful, both whether it's at the civil context of a car wreck or criminal context of being pulled over and potentially charged with a traffic offense is to look around and see where you are and observe if there might be any places that have video cameras nearby. Um, Sometimes the state has cameras on the roads that may have recorded some or all of this encounter. Certainly if you're near a business like a gas station, um, they'll have video there that could potentially have recorded this if there's i'm going to come back to the car wreck scenario if there's a dispute as to who might be at fault here right who changed lanes who had a green light or a red light um who who made the illegal move into the other one um go see if there's any cameras in the vicinity around you and you may be able to get a look at it right then and there or really convince the officer that the officer needs to go and get that video because right then on the spot that's when you want to see that. And and it makes all the difference in the world. We have a lot more people now who run video cameras while they are driving mm-hmm. their cars in, in both directions, both right. facing outside the vehicle and facing inside the vehicle, uh, especially for uh, rideshare operators, things like that. So there, there's video evidence that can be available, and it can disappear if you don't get it quickly. So that's really something to think about while you're right there at the scene. A brief aside, I was able to resolve a case in my client's favor by subpoenaing video from an ATM machine. It was in a little kiosk on the corner. They don't do that too much anymore since people put them in their trucks and drive off with them. But we were able to get that tape. Most of those tapes clear every 30 days, so you have to get your subpoena out right away on those. Also, the question comes up, hey, if uh, can I record the officer who's talking to me through the window? Absolutely you can. They're recording you. If you have got either a body camera or a dashboard camera, and maybe there's a, one of each, uh, you can record your encounter. Don't stick the phone in the officer's face. Just, you know, put it in a spot where the verbal recording is probably going to really be all you need anyway, and you're entitled to do that. Uh, one of these days, I mean, I think we're going to start to see as Apple – I don't think it's going to build its own car. I think Apple is going to – I'm an Apple shareholder, so I watch this. <laughs> They're going to build the interior of the car, all the electronics, the sound system, the, the GPS. And one of those systems I believe you're going to be able to buy is, just as Bruce is saying, is a set of cameras in addition to the sensors for the self-driving or the driving adjustment sensors that everything that will happen in the cabinet of that car when you switch a, a button will be recorded, and that's going to help for rideshare situations and for law enforcement situations. But be careful. Your audio and video may be subpoenaed by law enforcement as evidence against you. Could backfire, so, for absolutely. sure. Yeah, yeah, that, just just because it exists doesn't mean that it's going to be mean helpful. You're right. You just, <laughs> you just may be doubling down on stupid yeah. and recording it for posterity. Right. When you're drunk at the scene, you know, your perception is going to be a little messed up. And what, <laughs> what you think is helping. You know, I did those field sobriety tests just fine, and then, you know, you see the video of it. and it's, You're oh out there turning cartwheels. This is not exactly what we thought yeah, it was going I, to be. I, I, I have 20-something years of videotapes, maybe 30 years, in a storage facility. 
And if it wasn't for the privacy rights of my clients, who I would I respect, and I'll have to destroy them all one day, I could put together a montage. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine that would go viral on social media or YouTube or somewhere. Yeah, and, right? and, and you know, everybody's a good person, and they you had still a, bad, can. a bad time. Yeah, you know, you, you can digitize, uh, digitally scramble the faces. <laughs> yeah, pretty that's easily. very true. That's right. You're exactly right. I wanted to go back, if you don't mind, to something you said, Bruce, in the first segment. And it's about the kid that was walking down the street, steps off the curb, and the and, and an officer asks, "Have you been drinking?" And he said, "I had a drink. I had a, had a beer earlier." And you said he could be arrested for uh, underage consumption, even though, like he doesn't, he's not drinking at that moment when the cop asks him. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty aggressive view of the law. Um, but the the second question, right? So the first question is, "Have you been drinking? Right? Have you had anything to drink?" Uh, if the answer is yes, the second question is. How old are you? Mm -hmm. Right, you're under 21. You've just essentially admitted to uh, being a minor in possession of alcohol. The alcohol is in your bloodstream, right? So there are some other elements of proof that the officer probably has to go through. But do they have probable cause at that point? Smell to, the odor of alcoholic beverages about his breath in person. He had red and glassy eyes. He slurred his speech, and then I asked him to breathe into the probable the uh, portable breath test, and he blew a .05. I mean, I see these all the time. And they make these cases. The possession is that you have the alcohol in your system. You don't wow. have to have it in a cup in your hand. And every graduation season for high school, and the, the police know when the high schools graduate, and that evening they drive around the, the subdivisions, and they see a house that's got 300 cars on its yard. And they go in the back where the pool is, and everybody's back there holding a red Solo cup, and they make 97 minor possession alcohol cases. I see it all the time. So it's, it's seasonal. And parents, you have liability. We've talked about homeowner's liability and uh, what do we call it? server's liability. Well, one of those kids gets drunk and gets hurt or falls or has a wreck, and you served an underage a minor alcohol at your house. I don't care how careful you I've heard every story. I had them all put their keys in a fishbowl, and everybody brought a sleeping bag, and everybody was going to stay except when Johnny got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, got his keys out of the fishbowl, and drove home and had a wreck. Well, you know, that's that's your fault. Yeah, and, and the corollary to that story is that the host parents generally feel like they're being responsible. Yes. You know, hey, look, I know the kids are going to do this anyway. I'd rather that they're all here being safe at my house. You know, that, that I mean, my, my kid's a senior. I've heard this a dozen times. Sure. And, and so as long as they're here and they're being safe and they're not going anywhere, they can do whatever they want. It, it's fine. I don't care. You have criminal and, well, potentially criminal, but certainly civil responsibility when something goes wrong. If one of those kids overindulges and, and gets alcohol poisoning and dies, guess who the police are going to come talk to? Right, the so person that so, it so this it. idea that you're being the cool parent and and the responsible parent by allowing this to happen at your house is, is really one of the most dangerous things you can do. I, I don't know why when Ray is describing the scene of the 300 people in the backyard drinking out of solo cups, it just reminds me of the movie Superbad. Uh, but but rarely does it just end up being like the McLovin scenario. Right. Uh, it, it usually ends up just being ugly and yeah uh, and, yeah and inevitably some kid's got some weed in his his pocket or. There's a fight that breaks out. Uh, what happens, too, is these young adults, there's a party, and they put it on social media, and then there's 300 other kids coming that you don't know from a different school jurisdiction who are not putting their keys in the fishbowl. Uh, and so these situations can get out of hand, and as parents and homeowners, uh, you got to be careful because that – and that extends to the fraternity house. I mean, same – 
host liability up at the fraternity or the sorority. So yeah. underage drinking, it's it's enforced, and we all you know we did it when we were young. That don't make it right. Get, getting back to this topic of you know what do you do in that first encounter? So the the kid on the college campus who's being questioned, this this is a very difficult scenario for an 18 year old mm -hmm. or 19 year old because if you think about it so, and again i'll go back to the listeners of this show right they're all great parents just like their kids are all great kids and as great parents you have taught your children to respect authority be polite be well-mannered yes sir no sir look somebody in the eye answer questions from teachers principals um police other officers. adults and police officers and, and and be respectful in that scenario and yet now when you are suddenly being confronted by an officer who is not looking to be your friend, not looking to just have a nice, pleasant conversation with you on a Saturday evening on campus, but is looking for a reason to arrest you or looking for a reason to give you a citation, that same respect for authority can get you, get you arrested. You're giving them the evidence by saying, yes, sir, and answering the question honestly, as opposed to not saying a word or saying, good evening, sir. I'm not going to answer any questions. Yeah, I mean, again, you can cooperate without confessing, but how many of us have been in that situation, especially as a young adult, and we've been taught, you know, I mean, I spent two days a week at Catholic school <laughs> back in the 60s and 70s, and you, you confessed your sins as fast as you could, and as many times <laughs> right. as you could, thinking it was the right thing to do. Uh, but unfortunately, you dig the hole deeper. Now, I will say one thing now, Bruce, and, and I will say this because I, I deal with this. It would make these officers happy that when they stopped that young adult who stepped off the curb that that young adult had not consumed any alcohol and they just sent him or her home the other thing is that that young adult who's using that fake id at some local restaurant or some local bar is jeopardizing that establishment's liquor license because that is a no fault they are the the law enforcement is unyielding they may have the best id you know, ever made, and you look like you're 22 instead of 19, but it is a, a completely at fault for the server who can be charged criminally and the bar or establishment that can lose its liquor license, and, and that's a big, big deal. Yeah, and, and that's who's enforcing it, really. Uh, yes, first the bars are, are the bars in the liquor store because they don't want to get in trouble for something like this. So I, I, I am aware of a story in a university town, not Athens, where there was a liquor store adjacent to the campus, and uh, somebody goes in there with their ID, and um, the person at the cash register looks at the ID and says, this is a fake ID, I'm keeping it. And the guy says, oh, no, it's real, it's real. He goes, no, this is a fake ID. He says, all right, give it back to me. Right? The guy says, no, I'm keeping it. Call the cops. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right? What are you going to do? What does student do? Runs out the yeah. door. Right? I'm out of here. And, and now they've got your fake ID. And here this goes back to the issue of, is that your real name on there? I mean, if it's not your real name, you're potentially committing a felony for identity theft. If it is your real name... They have your real name now. Guess who they're calling? The university. So, um, yeah, the best advice to your kids is don't do that. Don't don't that's, drink while you're underage. Right, but let's not pretend but, that that's going to be the case. Correct. So that's what that's why it goes back to at least for me. 
the question of okay, what does what does the kid say? You say if he says, you know, have you been drinking? You just say I'm not answering questions. Does that not lead to an arrest immediately? I have a very unpopular stance on this when I talk to my friends who are raising their kids to do the right thing, um, and and my position on this is when the police come over and ask you that question, lie. You say no, <laughs> and, and just have you had anything to drink? No. no, you don't even have to answer. You, you don't, you have, don't to answer. have to answer. You don't have to answer again. But, but that's going to cause conflict, right? Yes, it is. And it, you know, look, could, I mean, but uh, you're not giving them the evidence that they need to convict you. You know, it, it you have to. You have to switch has to go off in your head pretty quickly, you know, flee or fight, <laughs> cooperate uh, or or not and risk the, OK, I'm charging you with obstruction or, you know, failure to failure to cooperate or disorderly conduct. Click, click, handcuff, you're arrested anyway. And then we get in front of the judge and we've got to explain. So it's really difficult. I get the same question every time, every cocktail party I'm at which is very rare anymore. Uh, you know, if I had, Ray, 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 I've had two drinks. Should I take the test? Should I not take the test? And I'm like, you got to use your best judgment. Did you really, really, really only have two drinks over three hours? Well, take the test. You're, you're probably legal or right at the line where we can help you. If you had 22 beers, probably don't take the test. That's, you know, you're, 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 you're not cooperating then. You're confessing then, okay? There's there's a subtle difference. Uh, but But again... 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, they think they're so smart. They're not so smart. They're dumb. They make dumb mistakes. Ray Judice's personal opinion is we can send those 20, 21-year-old kids all over the world to fight for that flag, and when they come back, we can't buy him or her a beer. Yeah. I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, Joining that. and that's a bigger issue. Is our, is our no drinking over 21, under 21 policy correct or not? I don't know. Um, well, you know who's on your side on this are university presidents because they think that the— the ban on drinking until age 21 is one of the factors that leads to binge drinking on campus when kids are sort of released into the wild uh, away from their parents for the first time and they get to college campuses and they, and they just immediately overdo it. And, and they feel like, you know, if you had an 18 year old drinking age where they didn't have to sort of feel this pressure, like when the opportunity arises to just get after it, um, you might have, um, I don't know, you might lessen to some degree, the problem that exists with binge drinking. Yeah, it's not an easy answer. It starts in the home. You know, what, what's the home policy? What's the model that you role models that the parents and friends show? Uh, you know, is it common at home to, to overindulge and have those kind of problems? Well, kids grow up in that environment, uh, and that extends to many other behaviors. But it, Bruce is right. Uh, nothing makes someone overdo it than being told you can't do it. <laughs> I mean, first, especially a kid. <laughs> no kidding. The first season of Serial concluded after 12 episodes back in 2014, but eight years later, season one, episode 13 has dropped. Do you know why? We'll explain it next on Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. 
Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. The podcast serial, it may have been the very first podcast to get incredible attention nationwide. It ended in 2014 after 12 episodes. They talked about a murder case of Aiden Saeed, a Baltimore man who was convicted in 2000 of the death of his girlfriend. Last week, after eight years, season one, episode 13 came out because his murder conviction was vacated and he was released from prison. This is an incredible story. Yeah, and I think Serial was the first podcast I had listened to way back when, um, and it was fascinating, really, to hear it. And this um, investigative journalist, Sarah Koenig, had had really dug into the story of a conviction that just on the surface looked like a pretty straightforward conviction. But as she kept digging and, and going and doing the investigative work of talking to the people who were involved, talking to the, the potential witnesses who were there, the people who did testify at trial, the people who didn't testify at trial, and, and really the further into it you got – it just seems so unjust, the result that was there. And yet to overturn a conviction based on something like uh, external facts that come up, you know, we see it sometimes. People get released from prison years later where DNA evidence comes out to exonerate them many years later, right? And groups like the Innocence Project that dig into these things will spend a long time researching, coming up with some scientific proof that the person who was convicted could not have been the the person who was guilty of that particular crime. Here you had a much different scenario, and yet as I think both the combination of some really good investigative journalism um, combined with the sort of a public outcry that couldn't be ignored by both the prosecutor's office or even the judge that was on the case, um, it led to now um, this person being freed after 23 years in jail. Well, it should be pointed out that this conviction is not being undone through the courts. In other words, there wasn't a motion for new trial granted, which is standard on any conviction, especially in a homicide by the trial court. There wasn't a court of appeals or a Supreme Court set of justices that overturned the conviction. It was a set of uh, hardworking investigative journalists, some people that cared about this gentleman, and they uncovered enough evidence that when presented to the district attorney or the district attorney's office that prosecuted the case, the district attorneys filed a motion with the court to undo the conviction. 
that they themselves were at fault for not providing original defense counsel prior to the original jury trial names of other potential suspects who were apparently viable you know, options to at least be seriously investigated. One of the things that you see nowadays, and, and when law enforcement, even though they're pretty sure who the defendant's about to be, they're very vague at their press conference and their news conference about uh, persons of interest, you know, a sphere, a circle of people that we'd like to talk to. Well, they know who they're talking about, but they're not going to announce it because, number one, they don't want to send a signal to the potential defendant like, hey, we're coming, so destroy all the evidence <laughs> or, you know, get on the next bus to, to Guatemala or they don't want to be caught by the defense lawyer at trial is, hey, you never even took a moment to look at all the, you know, the ex-boyfriend, the Tinder date from last week, the argument that she had with her boss three days earlier. You just excluded all those possibilities and from word go, focus solely on my client. It's a pretty good argument. And yeah. in this case, it carried the day. Oh, it absolutely is because when the, the investigators are honing in on a suspect, right, it's, it's, we suspect this is the person who convicted this crime, they're going to look for the evidence that will support their theory that that's who committed the crime. And that means that in the course of doing that, they're not considering the evidence that would say that this suspect did not commit this crime. And once that ball starts rolling, oh yeah, they issue warrants, they've got a suspect, maybe they brought the suspect in, the suspect's got a lawyer. Well, at that point in time, it doesn't mean they're not going to open to the possibility, but the resources are being focused on that potential defendant. Right. So how interesting here that the prosecution in the case, which back in 1999 was saying, you know, convict this person of first degree murder, premeditated uh, murder and put him in uh, behind bars for the rest of his life is the same office that is saying we're filing the motion to the court to uh, have a new trial or to undo it is a new trial. Yeah, Yeah. it's a new trial. So, So, you know, they're the ones pushing it. And, you know, as it should be. Right. I mean, you'd like to think there's some measure of integrity Um, in the prosecution's office. And look, they're elected officials too. And like I said, there was a lot of public pressure that came out of this. And this this seemingly mountainous amount of uh, exonerating type of evidence that would say that this kid who's behind bars is not the one who committed the murder, um, why wouldn't you want to get it right? Isn't that part of your mandate as a prosecutor to, to... to enforce the law and, and get the right person behind bars, because if you've got the wrong person in prison, that means that the person who actually did it may still be out there if they're still alive. Well, so, that's right. Uh, Bruce, what about civil liability? The prosecutors are, are admitting what may be legal negligence, legal malpractice. It was called a Brady violation. There's a Supreme Court case that requires that the prosecutions turn over in what's called discovery, pretrial discovery, everything that's basically everything that's in their file, pretty much everything. That's the way to do it. And the good prosecutorial offices in Metro Atlanta, and there are many, have basically an open file policy. Come on up. I'll put the file in the conference room. Take a look at it. Make copies, or we'll give you certified copies of whatever you need, video, fingerprints, mug shots, witness statements. That's all got to be disclosed in a timely basis prior to jury trial. So they knew they were wrong, and as Bruce said, they did the honorable thing but now wow. but now this gentleman this man has spent what 20 more than half of his life, life in yes. prison we've seen those cases where the counties and states have to pay millions of dollars in damages absolutely and everything that they knew and put in this motion here they knew that they knew it back in 1999 discovered evidence no there's that's nothing different new. that's different that, that's like the scenario talking about with the dna coming forward that they didn't have at the time that's right, right. there's a big they, difference they knew this there's nothing that was disclosed here uh or earth shattering it's just that it came under light and that's the 
sort of thing that a really strong investigation can do and, and a relentless journalist. And so, you know, my hat's off to Sarah Koenig. I think it's a fantastic thing. There have been other attempts to duplicate it. If you watch the TV show with Martin Short and Steve Martin called Only Murders in the Building, you know, they try to lightheartedly take a shot at, at what Serial did in, in the real world to, to solve active murders. But it's really remarkable. And, and so, yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. And it'd be interesting to see how this plays out, obviously, going forward. And there's an axiom in, in my profession, my line of work, that a good, honest prosecutor can do more justice than 10 hardworking public defenders. And that's no slight against hardworking public defenders. But the prosecutors have the discretion. They have the power. They have they control the valve. All right, we've charged you with murder. Uh, how'd you like to take a plea to battery? Well, even the best public defender or retained counsel has to look their client in the eye and say, hey, man, it's life versus 24 months probation. I know you said you're not guilty, but do you want to take a plea? There's an awful lot of pleas that are taken due to, I will say, leverage, but due to you you got you to gotta decide if you're going to roll the dice. Because, again, as I said earlier, there's the trial tax. Don't lose your jury trial. Do not mess with your freedom. Make sure you have great legal representation. I recommend the two people on this show the most. And we'll start with how to get a hold of Bruce Hagan. Yes, easy to find me. My cell phone, uh, which I give exclusively to the listeners of this podcast, 404-202-2233. Email me, Bruce, at Hagen-Law.com. That's H-A-G-E-N hyphen law.com. Ray Judice, 404-964-4185. G-I-U-D-I-C-E or anything close. I have bought the website (laughs) for every variation of the, any combination of those vowels that you like to do. But even more simply, RayGLaw.com. Yep. That's the way to go right there. I try there. to keep it simple. This is your day in court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. 
an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com.